Well, I hope you have picked up on what the message this evening is going to be about, and I hope you have your Bibles open. If you have not gotten your Bibles open, if you could do that right now, we're going to be in Song of Solomon chapter 8. Now, I know for a fact that just about everybody here, even if you did not bring your Bible, has your cell phone. And it is super simple to go to a Bible app. So I'm going to ask everybody to open up your Bibles to Song of Solomon. And if you're watching this at home, uh, I would encourage you right now to open up your Bible. And let's open it. We're going to look at it together. We're going to read in just a moment a few verses from Song of, Sol- Song of Solomon chapter 8. I'm going to give you just a moment. It's a book of the Bible that is located after Psalms, after Proverbs, and after Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon chapter 8, that is the word of God that we are about to read. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. If you are capable of standing, if you would do that, I would appreciate that. So Song of Solomon chapter 8, let's stand. I'm going to read to you verses 5 through 7. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. You may be seated. That concludes the reading of God's word. Now we get to look into it deeply. And what we're going to find immediately is that the Song of Solomon, this incredible book of the Bible, is actually a musical It's one that has been loved by God's people for centuries. Its Latin title is Canticles, which means songs. So we've got a collection. Actually, it's not a collection of songs, although one might think it is. It's actually one song, but it's a musical in different acts. And it's one of the five books of the scripture that the Jewish people read every Passover, along with Ruth and Esther, Ecclesiastes and Lamentations. So we're going to step away from the book of Acts for just a little bit, and we're going to look at this great book because there are two threads woven throughout it. Now, I want you to get that imagery. There are two threads that are woven throughout the book of the Song of Solomon. Number one, it is the love of King Solomon of Israel and his wife, who is only given a title, never her name. She is the Shulamite. That's one of the threads, but they are a type. And in the Bible, that means that they represent something greater than them. They represent the love of Jesus or the love between Jesus and his bride, the church. So all while we're reading about the love of this Shulamite woman and the love of Solomon, her husband, we're really reading about the love of Jesus for his bride, the church, and the love of the church for his bride for her husband, Jesus. 
And when it sings of marriage, it is full of passion. And I'm going to surprise you because if you're not familiar with this book, it is full of love. It is full of emotional, even sexual intimacy. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that the Shulamite, the wife, has the first and the final word in the book. 53% of the song is sung by her. 34% of it is sung by Solomon. And the rest is sung by others whom we will meet later in this message. Well, did you know that Proverbs, with its 40 uses of the word son, offers wisdom to boys? Proverbs was written to train young men to serve in the king's court. It's a perfect book to train men and ladies, but particularly men as well, to serve in our king, Jesus core in the kingdom of God. But the Song of Solomon is a message that's primarily for girls. It was written for young ladies. It was written to show them this is what a good, godly, intimate marriage looks like. And you can have it. And we are your example, they say. The book opens with a Shulamite singing of her desire for Solomon. If you want to look at the screen, you'll see in the very second verse, she sings, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Did you know, by the way, that a normal kiss can burn 6.4 calories per minute? Did you know that? That's just a normal kiss. A passionate one can burn 20 calories a minute. If you're on a weight loss program, and I would just encourage if you're married, I would uh, begin to exercise your lips. Well, how long, you might ask, is an average kiss? Well, according to that study, it's 20 seconds. Some of you got a little bit of work, I think, you need to be doing on this. Did you know that kissing strengthens our immunity system? It actually is shown that drivers who kiss their spouses before they drive, they drive less aggressively. That's a study that shows that. Well, all of those interesting facts aside, this couple's courting relationship had begun, chapter one, chapter two, and their love quickly grew. They're dating at this stage, and with it, now I want you to hear this, there is an overwhelming desire to consummate that love intimately, physically, even sexually, and I would be surprised, I'd actually be a little concerned if you don't identify with that. If you've ever been in love, your body wants to express it, right? Right? But the Song of Solomon says this three times. I hope you listen. This is critical that you hear this. She sings a warning three times. Do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. That's talking about sexual love. She's warning about it. Belongs only within marriage. If you are opening up that gift, even now before marriage, you're opening up that gift prematurely. It will have negative consequences in your marriage. But it was a desire so fierce for her that she even had a dream, chapter 3. She had a dream of being with Solomon intimately. And their wedding day arrives in chapter 3, a little bit later, chapter 3. And then the night, that night, they finally, after their wedding, they finally enjoy each other fully in chapter 5 and 6. Now, did you get the order? They did not open that gift until their wedding night. Even though it raged fiercely in them, they would not open it until their wedding. That is where sexuality belongs within a marriage. 
But on the heels of their honeymoon night, they have their very first fight in chapter 5. And they work through it, and then they settle into their marriage, and instead of the intimacy of their marriage dimming like so many today does, the flames of their desire for each other actually increases in chapters 6 and 7. And when we get to our passage in chapter 8 that we're about to look very deeply at, well, it feels like an anniversary trip, and their love is so deep, so strong, that it, again, is going to take music in order to express it. You know, songs can capture the beauty of marriage. In fact, it really does take poetry and music to do it. Just simply words alone really can't get to the depth of emotional intimacy and a love that's in a godly marriage. But not just any song or... Or you might have a song like Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. You don't want a marriage singing that song. Or George Strait's All My Exes Live in Texas. You do not want to be singing that either. (laughs) What we need is this song, the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, to show us the way to a marriage that endures in love, that is alive and satisfying, and stays fresh even while we grow old. Part of our vows Denise and I had in our wedding and one of the things that we would say to each other when we were dating and when we were engaged is that we really looked forward to growing old together, to being old and still walking hand in hand and hand in hand. And I, in fact, wrote a song, you're going to be surprised at this, I wrote a song that my sister sang in our wedding called Hand in Hand, and that was part of the lyrics in that song. Well, the title of a song that we're going to be looking at, that's going to be our guide today during this passage, or to get through this passage, is actually one by Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin, and you're going to understand it and be familiar with it as I begin to now get into this message. Here's point number one, signed. Signed. You know, it started in the 1960s when New Zealander Kim Groves wanted to express her love to her soon-to-be husband, Roberto, Roberto Casali. She would draw a single-frame picture of a modestly naked boy and girl and always captioned in the top left corner, love is dot, dot, dot. And then she would write an answer in the bottom of it with a drawing. And she would put these little drawings in his lunchbox. She'd put them in his fishing tackle box, his car, his pillow, his back pocket, wherever he would find it and be surprised. And he said, honey, why don't we publish these? And they began to publish them into booklets, and then to this day, they are still published in daily newspapers. You see, love demands expression. It yearns to be communicated. It desires to be known by the one who is loved. 
So we get into our text and look at verse 5, if you would, again. We're getting into a bridge. This is a musical bridge. This is an interlude, if you would look at it that way. And there are observers singing in this portion. And it's almost like a backup choir. And they're singing in verse 5, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Now, the beloved through the song of Solomon is Solomon. And of course, he's married to a woman called the Shulamite. And we get this view, we get this image. From a distance, they look like one person. She's leaning on her beloved. The Shulamite is pressed into Solomon. Well, love is a journey. And here we have Solomon and his wife coming out of the desert, out of the wilderness. They're either walking together or they're riding in a chariot together, which I think is what it is, because it keys into earlier in the psalm, the day of the wedding, where you get an allusion to the chariot there. And I believe my thought, my belief, my view is that they have taken an anniversary trip back to where she grew up, where their love was kindled. They've been married for a while, I think. And she is pressed against him. She has lost none of her desire to be physically united with her husband. She's leaning on his shoulder, affectionately content and at peace. You know, this is amazing to me. It's sadly amazing. And I realize I may now be talking about some of the marriages in this very room or who are watching online. It's amazing how often I see couples who never touch each other. There's no arm around her shoulders. There's no holding of hands. They're often at restaurants. They hardly look at each other. They hardly talk. I find that sad. And these couples are usually older, their married, marriage is seasoned, yet they have lost their physical desire, their physical proximity with one another. Well, here we've got a couple, their marriage is seasoned as well. This is an anniversary trip, but they've lost none of their desire for physical intimacy. In fact, she sings a song going down memory lane of when their, lo- their love began so many years before. Look at the rest of verse 5. Under the apple tree I awakened you, she sings to Solomon. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Now she's not pointing to a literal apple tree, remembering that they made love under it. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, husband of mine, I am the one that awakened your desire the night of our wedding. I am the one responsible for that. They're so comfortable with each other that talking of their sex life is part of their conversation. And I would ask married couples, is that true for you? And why are we so uncomfortable when a sermon like this is preached? See, apple trees were called the sweetheart trees of the ancient world. They were considered aphrodisiacs, stimulants, And here she is saying to her husband that the same act 
between your mom and your dad that brought you into being, we now get to enjoy. And they had kept that desire bound. And it was awakened when it was time, their wedding night. And they have not put that back to sleep. And it leads her to look up at him with a request. Look at verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart. Now, you might be wondering, why am I even preaching on this? Why did I sidestep out of Acts to do Song of Solomon? Well, there's two reasons. One, you'll hear at the end. Uh, secondly, though, the even greater reason is I do a whole lot of counseling in our church. In fact, my degree is in counseling, not pastoring. And some of you are going, hmm, that explains a lot. And so I do a lot of intervention, and I do a lot of counseling, and I see a lot of marriages really struggling in our church. I'll comment, I'll comment on that in a little bit, but I'm convinced that for a lot of us, our marriages are no different than those of the world, those between unbelievers. That is not the way it ought to be. We need help. And it's okay to admit it. It's all right. In fact, it's the first step of recovering a beautiful marriage. Set me as a seal upon your heart. This is her speaking. She's singing to her husband. She's in a place of vulnerability, having to ask for something. And that is so terribly difficult for many of us. Well, let's get to point two, and you'll see where this goes. The second one is sealed. Point number one, signed. Second one, sealed. You might be picking up on the song that is our outline from Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin. Well, married love grows, or at least it ought to be growing, but it doesn't grow in a linear or a constant level or track. In other words, the line doesn't go like this in anybody's marriage. There are ebbs and there are flows. There are good times and there are difficult times. And there are supremely joyful times and there are times where you wonder if you're ever even going to make it to the end of your lives. But when you get busy, when you have children, when they get involved in sports, when they get involved in band, and when you have hobbies, and when you have careers, all of these are pressures. And for many of us, they cause us to drift apart a little or a lot. But I'm going to tell you something that I've learned not only from dealing with so many marriages in our church, and by the way, outside, I deal with a lot of marriages from outside of our church. They come and ask for help, but not only that, my own marriage, and I would tell you I'm pretty confident in this statement, that marriage is very likely going to be the most difficult thing you have ever done, but it can bring you the most joy you'll ever experience. And that's the truth. Marriage will be, I believe, the most difficult thing you've ever going to do, but it can bring you the greatest satisfaction that is possible on this earth. Here we've got a woman married to the king of Israel with all the demands on him. He's got concubines, servants in the palace. And it seems she has a moment now in verse 6 where her heart needs to be affirmed by his love. You know, I'm not really sure if Kung Fu Master Bruce Lee was a Christian, but he actually summed up this verse 
when he said this, and I'm quoting from Bruce Lee, love is like a friendship caught on fire. In the beginning, a flame, very pretty, often hot and fierce, but still only light and flickering. As love grows older, our hearts mature, and our love becomes as coals, deep, burning, and unquenchable. That was Bruce Lee from his book, Artist of Life. The love of this couple, Solomon and the Shulamite, it's about to grow. It is about to burn brighter, and she is going to be the one. Do you hear this? She is going to be the one that initiates its growth. Ladies, initiate away. Men, don't make her be the only one that initiates. And respond rightly. She says in verse 6, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Now what is a seal? A seal indicated ownership of a person's valuable possessions. And she's saying, let me be the seal. And I want to, play, I want to be placed upon your heart. And that day it was very customary to wear a signet ring on a cord around the neck and to put it underneath your tunic against your chest near the heart. Let me put it in today's language. She is saying to Solomon, wear our wedding ring. Don't take it off. Make sure everyone sees you belong to me. I possess you and you possess me. And she gives a reason for her request, and it goes on. For love is strong as death, jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. Ladies, let me ask you a question very seriously. And would you have the humility to answer this in your own private heart before you and God? Have you spoken like this to your husbands since your wedding? Ladies, have you spoken like this to your husband recently? Are you like this amazing woman taking it on yourself to make your marriage burn bright? Now, remember, this book was written primarily to train young women for marriage. This is a song because you can teach often better through a song than you can through just a didactic or a lecture format. And throughout this musical, there are friends. There's a quote, daughters of Jerusalem. Who are they? They're bridesmaids, perhaps, and they sing as well in this musical. And they're looking at this couple to see how a marriage can and should be. Now, do you know this? That there are people in this room right now, there's people in our church that aren't married, and young people. And do you know that they're looking at your marriage as the example of what they understand marriage ought to be. And if your marriage is not very intimate, your marriage is not very good, your marriage is not growing, well, that's the example that you are being. God has a very vested interest in all of our marriages. They are to teach the younger 
how to love, how to be loved. And our marriages, all of ours, if they are Christian marriages, for only Christian marriages have the flame of the Lord. If they are Christian marriages, then we are representing the love of Christ in the church. And she is determined, this Shulamite woman, that in her marriage, they would see a marriage that's exciting, that's satisfying, that's burning bright with the very flame, listen to this, of Yahweh. That's what the name, that's what the name Lord means, Yahweh. It was a permanent love that could truly say, till death do us part. It was unquenchable. Now, think about that for a moment. Usually, Enough water will put out any fire, but not when the fire is the very flame of Yahweh. It is unquenchable. It cannot be put out. She was determined that the Lord's love would live in their hearts, and it would never go out, and their love represents the consuming, jealous, perfect love of Jesus for his bride, the church, whose love never, ever ends. Signed, sealed. Is that the way it describes your marriage? Let me give you the third, delivered. If a man offered, verse 7, for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Now, the Beatles, the Beatles had it right when they wrote that song, Can't Buy Me Love. You cannot give a person material things with the hope that they will have this kind of love in return. If you have to give gifts and dine at fine restaurants and take that person on lavish vacations to win their love, avoid that person because your relationship will never endure. You can't buy love. Love has to be freely given and it has to be received without price, without purchase, or it will be taken for granted. It will be used, it will be manipulated. And it leads us to ask a question. And again, I would ask husbands and wives that are listening to this to really think and to respond to this question. Have you taken your marriage for granted? Has your marriage fallen into a dull and lifeless routine? Now, if you're like a lot of people that I counsel, particularly men, and the pastor or the counselor begins to ask these questions, there is a great anxiety that begins to rear up because you know you're going to have these conversations on the way home. And I invite you to have them. Have you taken your marriage for granted? Has it fallen into a dull, lifeless routine? You know, there's something I have found very interesting. A study showed that 80% of couples, is everybody listening to this? 80%, that's four-fifths of couples who live together before marriage and engage sexually before marriage, 80% of them end in separation. They do not endure. 80%. I am finding this is absolutely all through our church. 
Boys and girls, young men, young ladies, dating and involved sexually before marriage. I have one message, and I give it every time I discover this. Your marriage will never be joyful if you live in sin. Your relationship will likely end. 60% of those married by a justice of the peace end in divorce, 60%. 40% of those married in a church eventually divorce. But I want you to listen to this. Are you hearing this? Couples who read their Bibles together daily divorce at the rate of one out of every 1,050. Did you hear that? If you have the flame of Yahweh in your heart and you act on that towards one another and you do not take each other for granted and you are signed because of your wedding and you are sealed because of your vows and you are delivered to one another freely, not out of compulsion, your love and your marriage will be unbreakable. And I want to know if this song is resonating in your heart like it did the wife of Solomon, whose heart was filled with the knowledge of our final point. Signed, sealed, delivered, point four, I'm yours. Look what she says in chapter 7, chapter seven verse 10. She's singing this. This is poetry. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. The word desire is one that is only found three times. This word for desire in the Hebrew is only found three times in the entire Bible. And I'll show you where the first time you see it is. It's in Genesis 3.16. And it's part of the curse and it's part of the judgment that God leveled to Eve. And he said this, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, the English is terrible. The translation is terrible. Let me tell you what it really says in the Hebrew language. Your desi- the word desire is a word for clingy, controlling attitude from the wife toward her husband and the statement, he shall rule over you. That word rule is for harsh, oppressive, dictatorial rulership. This is the battle of the sexes. This is the first place that battles come into the first marriage. In our passage in chapter 7, verse 10, it's as if the curse has been lifted and she sings in joy, I am gladly my beloved's and his desire is for me. And it's not clingy, it's not harsh, it's not dictatorial. He's not trying to hurt me. I'm not trying to dominate him. I'm not trying to control him. I want to love him. He wants to love me. We are signed, sealed, and delivered, and we are gladly each other's. You see, that's a Christ-honoring marriage. And it always works to undo the devastating effects of the curse. Now, am I describing your marriage? Do you have a marriage like the one that is sung about in this great musical? Can you and your spouse both say, 
I am signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. And if you cannot sing that, why? You've got the very flame of Yahweh if you're a Christian. If you've got a covenantal marriage where your vows were done in the presence of the Lord because you are his child, you are his daughter, you are his son, and he has united you in those vows, you've got the very flame of Yahweh, the very love of Jesus beating in your heart. Why then would we not be growing in our marriages? And what example are the ones following us seeing? I truly believe that Rome, the empire, fell because of the erosion of the family whose foundation is the marriage. You see, the families began to disintegrate in the Roman Empire. And it heralded the beginning of the end. And when the marriage, which was the last bastion, when the marriage is the last refuge, the last anchor, the last foundation, fully and finally crumbled in Rome, the empire was overwhelmed. It completely imploded from the inside out. Do you not know that for every church, the strength of the family will determine the strength of the church? And the strength of the family is not in your parenting. It's in your marriage. And a crumbling marriage will produce a broken family, which will permeate and affect an imploding church. I have a very vested interest in my own marriage and in yours being strengthened. Our church seems like a hospital for broken people, and I would want it no other way. I love it that broken people find their way to this church. In fact, I really truly, I'm going to be very honest, I get really nervous when somebody comes to this church and they give the attitude that they've got life all together because I know the truth, they don't. I don't either. But we're in this together. And I'm encouraging you to seriously consider coming to the very first marriage retreat that, retreat that we have ever put together. No matter where your marriage is, you might be on the brink of ending everything in your marriage. I'm encouraging you to hold on and come to this marriage retreat. And your marriage might be very satisfying. I'm telling you right now, I don't really believe you've even yet tasted where your marriage can go. I think there's a top end that is incredibly high and God's grace can get us there. I'm asking that you would consider coming to our marriage retreat, March 17 through 19. Our speaker is Brian Cooper. He used to pastor Ebenezer Bible Fellowship Church. Friend of mine, he's a master's level counselor. He counsels marriages. He does these retreats really for the same conviction as what I just stated with you. And he will be our speaker that weekend. And I want us to be a church that is strengthened by marriages that are beautiful, alive, and strong, where we truly can say we are signed, sealed, delivered, and yours. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Song of Solomon. It's such an incredible book, Lord, and I wish I had months to be able to teach through this. But 
But Lord, I trust and I hope that today was enough to really show us, Lord, what your attitude is towards marriages. And Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to love, Lord, in such a way that we would constantly remember our wedding night, constantly remember that we are sealed for each other in our vows. And Lord, that we would be intent, Lord, delivered, Lord, freely loving and freely receiving one another in our marriages. Lord, that we could say, I am my beloved, my beloved's, and he is mine. Lord, that there would be that kind of possession and exclusiveness. We love you. We pray for the upcoming marriage retreat. Lord, we pray that so many of us will make it to this. And Lord, that our marriages would be so encouraged. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.